Our guest today is a lifelong resident of Delaware County and Upper Darby, a graduate of Upper Darby High School. Uh, he is an addiction recovery specialist. He is a school advocate, and he has the greatest wedding pictures that I've ever seen in my life. Uh, Damien Christopher Warsavage, thank you for joining us on the Delco Young Democast. Thank you for having me. You have one of the most interesting sort of like life stories that I've ever heard. Um, so I'm not even going to, I'm not even going to steer it. Just, you know, just what's your story? Okay. Well, it started by me being born in Bryn Mawr, Pennsylvania. So not too terribly far from here. Mm-hmm. And between Bryn Mawr, after that was Ardmore. After that was somewhere in Philadelphia. I got it wrong about lifelong Delco. Well, oh, in the very beginning. Like, when I was Fair. first born, before I could pick and choose where I could live, I was in Bryn Mawr, Fair enough. I was in Philly, and I was in Ardmore. That was all before I even went to kindergarten. Oh, wow. Then by the time I went to kindergarten, I was in Havertown, uh, went to Manila Elementary School for the first half of kindergarten, and then basically the rest of my life was spent in either Drexel Hill section of Upper Darby Township, Upper Darby proper, or towards the end of my junior into senior year of high school, Clifton Heights. Okay. Yeah. What was your was your family like involved in the community at all, or were they uh, just kind of kind of getting by? <laughs> we basically more or less got by on mm-hmm. our own sustenance. Uh, we weren't There's nothing wrong with that. We weren't really out in the open in the community. I mean, we went to church, of course. Mm-hmm. Our home church still is to this day is. It was Household of Faith Deliverance Church, but now it's changed its name to Household of Faith Deliverance Worship Center. So it just seems like everyone's names seem to get longer (laughs) as time goes by. Um, But I mean, as I got older and more uh, cognizant of what's been going on in my community, I would either get involved in community outreach groups, either through the church or through the schools that I would go to at the time. Mm -hmm. And then as an adult, I would just go to actual either school board meetings and things like that. The rest of my family isn't as into some of that stuff, but that's because they're raising their own families and enjoying life on their own terms, which is basically how we were brought up. Respect everyone else. You don't need to be, you can be as involved in the community as you want or not. Uh, as long as you're not hurting yourself or anyone else, it's really what it's all about. No, that's that's solid advice. That's a good way to go about things. But, I, uh, I would like to think so. <laughs> if I don't want my mom or dad to whoop my ass, then I'm going to do what they tell me to do, and that's pretty much it. That's the bottom line. I've never I've never met I've never met either, but um, I I don't imagine that uh, <laughs> they're to be they're to be trifled with. No, I don't think so. Yeah. You know, I know that you have you have a large family. Um, I know that. Um, you know, they were part of the reason that you went into, uh, you know, working with uh, addiction and recovery. Is that uh, something you're you're okay with kind of talking about? Or? Oh, definitely. Uh, growing up, there's always been issues or challenges with what we knew as addiction or alcoholism. Now I know to term it properly as substance use disorder. Mm-hmm. And in 2014, uh, I was, it was April 3rd, 2014, I remember it very clearly, mm-hmm. and it was my work anniversary. I had been there at this point, at this particular place, like eight, nine years or something mm-hmm. like that. And my plan was to go and have sushi out in Phoenixville, because the job was out in Chesterbrook, Wayne, okay. and I was excited for that. And then I got calls from my mom on my phone. I figured that it was just my mom like annoying me. I love my mom. <laughs> Hi, mom. If you're listening, you've heard this part of the story before. 
But um, I ignore the phone calls. This was like it. It's a little after five. <laughs> and after maybe the third or fourth time she tried calling me, I actually picked up the phone and she said, Damien, Damien, something's wrong. It sounded very exasperated. Yeah. And I said, well, what's going on? She said, Alan, Alan's gone. I have a cat named Alan. I named that cat after my brother, Alan, just to piss him off. <laughs> um, because I would say I love my cat more than I love my brother. Oh, man. Uh, then she said, no, I'm not talking about the cat. I'm talking about your brother. And I went, well, w what's going on? At the time, Alan had been in his own uh, substance use struggles and was a transient for a period of time and mm -hmm. had gone into a recovery program through uh, parts of Northeast Philadelphia. So I'm like, well, is he hanging out with a friend? Like, I'm speechless. I don't know what's going on. She said, no, he's dead. And mm -hmm. the color in my face totally drains. Everything else is a blur until I haul ass back from Wayne, essentially, back to Upper Darby. And my mom breaks it down to me that my brother had died from a heroin overdose. Mm -hmm. And my dad hadn't found out about it yet. Mm -hmm. My dad, who had been going through his own struggles and at the time was at a nursing home uh because he got benefits from being a veteran okay and so he was dealing with that we went up to his nursing home he didn't know why everyone was there he was happy to see everyone oh, boy. but we had to turn our backs and my mom had to tell him our son our baby's gone alan's alan passed away and mm -hmm. he had this i remember it very clearly very guttural visceral kind of just moaning blaming himself for alan turning out the way that he did and of course in the days following we had to come to grips with dealing with how to remember alan eulogizing him and it was an out-of-body experience for everyone because something like a mother or a brother a sister so on and so forth you're so used to having them as a part of your life your daily routine and when that part of your routine is gone then you're all of a sudden like what the fuck yeah. so then fast forward to a week after he was found we're uh preparing to memorial celebrate his life at our childhood church that's mm -hmm. they don't mourn death they celebrate life yeah. and it was like seven in the morning uh april april 12th it was and 2014 and i hear my mom screaming i'm like oh that I already know what I'm up to do yeah. today. Yeah. That's the only thing I want to deal with. If it's something else, you know, stupid, I really don't. Feel, I'm yeah. not the one. Yeah. So then she's still screaming. I run to my parents' my parents' bedroom, and my dad had come over the night before uh, so he could go to the memorial service for Alan. And she said, Damien, Damien, your father. I'm like, looking down and he's actually not moving and it came to be that he ended up passing away in his sleep next mm. to my mom the morning yeah. of my brother's funeral oh my so God. we had to deal with that and just as the funeral service for my brother was starting my mom had to get up in front of our church and say thank you for being here for john christopher unfortunately or alan christopher rather we unfortunately have some bad news to share my in her words my husband john christopher passed away in his sleep uh several hours ago please keep us in your thoughts and prayers at this time and then a week after his funeral alan's funeral it was dad's funeral since mm -hmm. he was a vet he got to be played taps okay. and the uh, president obama 
was kind enough to well through the Veterans Administration yeah. to uh, send a f- American flag folded in front of my mom and placed it in front of her, mm-hmm. and, and they saluted my family. And due to that entire, I don't want to call it an episode, but due to that entire life experience, it changed my purpose yeah. as a person, and that's what ultimately got me to uh, hooking up with. The Council of Southeastern Pencil- Southeast Pennsylvania, getting in contact with a fine person named Brooke Feldman, and through their scholarship program, they trained CRS as Certified Recovery Specialists, and I was a part of the first class in the nation, Excellent. thanks to a, uh, what did they call it, a, not necessarily employment, I don't know the exact word for it, but it was something through the Obama administration where they were trying to get people more involved in this area, okay. this field of expertise. And six months later, I had a CRS certificate. I went through the PA certification board and got a further certification from that. And ever since then, I've had various different positions as a CRS, whether it was private coaching of individuals who are in active addiction or living in recovery, no matter how long or short that period has been, or working with recovery organizations such as young people in recovery, being able to fly out or be trained, like train, like choo-choo train out (laughs) to uh, places like Baltimore, uh, going out as far as Denver, Colorado, or even Seattle, uh, Washington to speak on behalf of family members who are affected by people living with substance use disorder because whether we realize it or not, that is an underrepresented part of the epidemic. It's first of all, it's not just heroin that's killing people. It's yeah. it's an it's a it's an entire mess of things. And for all the people that are affected, you know, we already know that people who are in addiction or who are actively in addiction aren't getting enough attention, but those are the yeah. only people that you tend to hear about when you're dealing with these items, and it's yeah. the family members that uh, need a voice, and that's what I'm contributing to. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot, even, you know, even as we're recording, the uh, the hearings for Brett Kavanaugh have just been in the past day or two, um, and, you know, a, a lot of the attention has been focused on, you know, the testimony of, you know, Dr. Ford and mm-hmm. his, his, you know, the, the claims that she has uh, with the sexual assault. Um, I, I feel like the idea that, he, you know, he may have an alcohol problem is kind of being under, you know, under addressed through this whole thing. Um, you know, so I, I can't even imagine like what, you know, all the attention has been, you know, make, make sure that the women in your life are comfortable. But, you know, for those who have, uh, you know, who are being having problems with the addiction talk um you know that that that's got to be tough as well yeah so. that, and i'm if you don't mind me mentioning no, i'm glad means. you were talking about that because i was i mean technically i was at work and i was doing my job <laughs> i was getting all of my tasks done so boss if you're hearing this too i'm telling the line you can multitask <laughs> <laughs> but i was listening intently to the conversation the hearing mm-hmm. the conversations that were being had between Dr. Ford and the Judiciary Committee, mm-hmm. and then uh, Judge Kavanaugh and the same individuals. And I remember an exchange in particular between Senator Klobuchar and Judge Kavanaugh. Yeah. And mm-hmm. from what I was able to ascertain, it seemed like they had a reasonably collegiate relationship just from having to go through the confirmation process. Mm-hmm. But then the part that really stuck out at me was the fact that... Uh, 
Senator Klobuchar was transparent enough to say, hey, my father had a an addiction problem. He was an alcoholic, yeah. and that's something my family has struggled with for X amount of years. When they were talking about the facets of drinking beer and things like that, and then the judge came out of nowhere and said, "Well, what kind of beer do you drink? Uh, how much?" Just it was very kind yeah, of flippant, very, odd, yeah, very like... kind of odd conversation to have. And I found that that was highly inappropriate in light of the actual topic of conversation. Yeah. It wasn't what made him do what he did. Potentially, it was the fact if he did it or not. Yeah. And so, as far as relating that to the addiction field or people who are living with addiction or living in recovery, that's definitely, at least as far as the judge is concerned, a bad example yeah. uh, of that sort of thing because not everyone who has an addiction problem is indignant of any potential past dis transgressions. If anything, those past transgressions are held against those people and it prevents them from being able to advance or move forward. People with yeah. records, they can't get hired to certain jobs because yeah, they harder. have... Yeah, it's it's multi-pronged and it just seemed like it was a badge of honor to this gentleman to, have drank, to say, I drank beer. Do you like beer? What kind of beer do you like? I was 18 when in fact the legal age at that time as it came to be was 21. Yeah. So Mr. Follow the Law apparently didn't know how to count that high to, oh, I'm allowed to drink, but then it can be just a funny kind of, again, flippant part of the conversation about something equally serious but unrelated yeah. to what he was trying to drive at. So I was just like, why would... Why would he even bother? Yes. Like, no, just a very odd diversion. It was yeah. very, it was very odd. But all right, um, I always, I always get the exact title wrong. But your your uh, certification has some sort of a youth enhancement, if I recall correctly. Yep, okay. I, I like long titles, so it's youth enhanced. <laughs> you're the one, you're the one making your your job. Oh title yeah, long okay, it's cool. it's youth enhanced certified recovery specialist. The way that sometimes people do refer to it is a, is a therapist, but there is a connotation to a therapist that entails, you know, you have to have X amount of degrees and certain kind of qualifications that aren't the same as a certified recovery specialist. Mm -hmm. A rec certified recovery, recovery specialist is more or less peer-driven, someone with lived experience, whether you are someone who has lived through substance use disorder or substance misuse or is like me a family member with that kind of lived experience who goes through a program then has x amount of hours of on-the-job training i had to go through a philadelphia dbh ids to do that uh, department of intellectual disability services i believe is what it what it's called odd and place to put that but i guess yeah, at least they have it <laughs> 11th and market i remember going there every day in the months of april oh, and may boy. to to do my trainings but mm. then after that taking the certification test and then ongoing trainings and things like yeah. that so since it's such a nuanced relative position the buzzword is therapist but it's crs it's a peer specialist it's someone who works with people and families and young adults living with uh living in addiction or living in recovery no matter how far on, on either end of the spectrum that they are and the role of a crs is someone who provides guidance and information based on what that person's needs are. So if I, if you are the one that I am offering peer mentorship to, and the goal that you have for yourself, and this is a good example, is just to be able to buy a pair of shoes. 
If that's your goal, then my job is to help you attain that goal. Now, how we go about reaching that goal is up for debate. There are certain things that you'll need to learn, like how to save money, how to get a job, how to be responsible, you know, things like that, which overall help you to be a uh, more well-rounded person mm -hmm. as opposed to whatever you were while you were in your addiction. And then you reach that goal. Okay, you got your shoes. Now what's next? That's kind of my role. And if it's if you're asking me to do something for you that's outside my realm of expertise, then it's my job to find that information for you. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, you know, knowing that there are so many different ways that people can find the support is definitely, uh, definitely, you know, it, it's not something that I've dealt with personally. So I'm very glad to hear that there are all different kinds of resources out there for folks. Um, Absolutely. Especially, you know, folks of, that maybe are of different means <laughs> let's let's put it as gently mm -hmm. as we can mm -hmm. um you know working working with younger people especially you know are you finding that there's how do i want to phrase are you finding that there's more of a need for uh folks with the the youth specialization at this point or is it just kind of that's a really good question so i mean overall the population like i mentioned earlier needs a whole lot more attention that it's getting and we're talking equitable like sink your teeth into attention not go to your insurance agency and they pay for you to go to rehab for 30 days and then pop out you're done and they won't pay for no more yeah, yeah. We're, we're talking about ongoing services and that's part of what a crs whether they are an individual outfit or part of an agency that's part of what we're responsible for doing and there is definitely a need a serious need not only for youth who are going through their own substance misuse struggles, but people in the LGBT plus community who do not have that representation. Because mm -hmm. it's one thing to go to an IOP and see a psychotherapist, and that person is very credentialed. They mean well, but it's very textbook-based. Yeah, yeah. It's A, B, C, X, Y, Z. And depending on the kind of psychologist or whomever that they're seeing it might be someone who hands out medication depending on what that individual situation is yeah, which if you're already in recovery yeah that's it's it's not, not really sometimes. an option yeah. for you <laughs> so i mean being able to have an actual certified recovery specialist who is reasonably close to the age of the mm -hmm. population which we're serving there is going to be that very superficial level before they even talk to me that very superficial level of comfort yeah. The potential is there because they're going to see, okay, this young dude is coming to me. He's from my community. He has some of my same background information. Maybe it's maybe it's an opportunity for me to just open up my ears and listen. I might not agree with everything he has to say to me, but at least I know he's here to listen to me. Because yeah. I liken it to going to school in Upper Darby. I know that there were some teachers that I had because they were significantly older than me, they couldn't relate to me, and therefore I tuned them out. And it's very important that anyone who's working in the recovery field uh, understands that we have to catch our people very early on in the process. We yeah. do not want to lose them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, it makes sense that, you know, some people are going to respond to, you know, the, the buttoned-up old white guy with a suit jacket, and some people are going to respond better to, you know, Purple hair and pink headphones. Yeah, purple hair, pink <laughs> headphones, and a really loud ass laugh. That's for sure. Yeah. So I know as part of as part of your ad as part of you want to run that back. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> as part of your advocacy, you've worked with a lot of folks uh, in the uh, 
in the township and at the county level and, um, you know, law enforcement and government and things like that. Um, I know there was, uh, you know, a couple of meetings earlier in the year as far as, uh, you know, how do we go forward with, you know, uh, addiction treatment and things like that from the, uh, from the government standpoint. And I wonder if you could kind of talk about that experience a little bit meeting with, uh, you know, uh, representative Santora and uh, I believe, uh, upper Darby police chief, Michael Chitwood was a part of that. And, you know, those, uh, those, uh, discussions that you folks have. Yeah. So my involvement with the upper Darby PD more or less centered around not necessarily addiction, but the other aspect of the police situation at the time. And that was minority relationships with the oh, police, okay. po- with the police community. Okay. And yeah. I miss, I misunderstood. I thought that there was, there was uh, a meeting with, uh, specifically with representative Santora. Yes. About, uh, yep. There, there okay, have been I'm, quite a few okay, with I think him. I'm, I think I'm confusing two different things then. I'm oh gonna... no, but I, I'm all up in everyone's grill. So <laughs> I got to go back through the notes I didn't make, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, going back even further, my political activism or really community activism, because I don't consider myself political is all thanks to a fine person named Colleen Kennedy, who mm-hmm. helped me get involved oh, friend of the podcast. And, and more plugged into what is going on in the world around me thanks to save upper darby arts and there's mm-hmm. an there's a whole story behind that but through the through her encouragement to get more involved and more knowledgeable about what's going on it ended up in part leading me to being more forceful to those elected officials specifically as far as addiction and recovery are concerned and that's what led me ultimately to uh, Representative Santora. He's heard me speak at different forums at different times. And most recently, uh, he and I have had private conversations about legislation that he was looking to pass as far as getting people the treatment that they need in the event of an overdose. I know that there are some of my friends on the left who feel that the way that he was going about it is wrong. I counter with, well, what if it were a guy with a D in front of his name that were proposing the same thing? Would you really be making the same complaint? Uh, There are also people in the recovery community who didn't necessarily agree with the fact that I stood in media a couple of months ago with with State Representative Santora and DA Kat Copeland about that particular uh, addiction bill. And I mean, I understand their concerns, but fact of the matter is we can't always get everything that we want and we are not doing any harm in my view with that particular bill and i believe it was one that said um something to the effect of if someone uh, is experiencing the throes of an overdose and they're brought back with narcan and you bring them to a hospital there's nothing in the law currently that says they have to get help or they have to be seen by a CRS mm-hmm. or some kind of specialized individual beyond the hospital staff or maybe the PD that shows up and questions them what happened uh, or what happened to them, whether that's appropriate or not, is a different story. Yeah. But this bill proposes an option for that person, if they're cognizant enough, to have the option of going to or being interviewed and evaluated by an actual legitimate CRS who has this credential, who has that understanding of assessing where this individual is at and seeing if they do need, after this episode, uh, any kind of further treatment assistance, whether it's uh, NIOP or going to an actual rehab or simply finding them a bed in a recovery facility somewhere in Delaware County, finding state funding if they don't have 
uh, insurance that'll cover it, uh, things along those lines. It's a lot more nuanced, his particular bill, than that. Yeah. That's only one of quite a few different conversations that I've had with the gentleman, and he and I duke it out over <laughs> policy. I mean, he's clearly a Republican. I'm clearly not, but that doesn't, I mean, I'm yeah. all over the place, but that doesn't yeah, mean that there are certain items which we can come together on, and I don't talk, to, he's not even my state representative. Yeah, yeah, you're on the same side of town here with me with uh, uh, the, the, the different district for Upper Darby. Yeah, that, yeah, that's a friendly way of putting it, because I'm, I'm probably not going to send her a Christmas card this year, but that being said, I get along reasonably well with the gentleman, and I've had similar conversations with the mayor of Upper Darby, uh, Tom McCosey. We go and verbally duke it out at Denny's or whatever it is across the street from the high school. One of those conversations was about overdoses in Upper Darby Township, and we looked at the data, and he was, and it was about mandatory sentencing mm -hmm. for people who were found dealing uh, drugs, uh, depending on what kind it was and yeah. the measurement and all that kind of stuff, and understood his standpoint on the issue he wants to he wants to save lives he gets these phone calls he's responsible for these people i get that yeah that's I mean, a huge responsibility yeah and at the end of the day that's everybody's goal i i, I truly believe oh definitely but it's a matter of how how exactly you best go about that is kind of the point of contention but. yeah definitely so i provided him at least the different viewpoint of okay say you're dealing with mandatory sentencing it's already in the books but he was working with santor and others to redefine it on his behalf because it's an epidemic for the community and my feedback was well all right say you have a family that is a mom a dad and some kids the mom and the kids are in their own world they're handling their own lives the father is the drug dealer uh, it was a nonviolent offense. He's busted, more or less, for possession of uh, X grams of such and such drug. Cops take him away. Cops lock him away. Cops take all of his stuff. But he, this family is left, you know, destitute because mm -hmm. even though you're taking what you feel are drug proceeds, and I understand the the reasoning behind that, you're affecting this family who had no participation in this individual's. Yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, half the time they're not even aware of what's they're going not on even now. aware on, on top of the fact that people who deal sometimes can also be users yeah. of or participants in whatever drug that they're trying to trying to sell. So it's it's a I made him see that it's a multi layered uh, issue that you can't just throw a hammer at. Yeah. It requires some kind of you know chisel, feather light touch yeah. a little bit because. If you're going to do mandatory sentencing, well, where is this money going? Because that was part of my that was part of my questioning to him. You know, you get these proceeds, whether I agree with it or not, is one thing. But then, where is some money going? Is it going to recovery? Where who's going to be responsible for dolling out that dolling out those yeah, funds? I don't see it in this bill. Yeah. And that was like a year ago, and I don't think it's gone anywhere yeah. as of yet. But that was really what opened up my pathway of conversation to the mayor about substance use disorder and my area of expertise. And through that, he has helped to put together a recovery organization. I don't think I'm allowed to discuss it quite yet. <laughs> Fair enough. But it's, it's going to pull together resources based on people's needs of addiction and recovery. And it's helmed by several really, really, really strong community advocates, including myself, 
and we look forward to rolling that out in the months ahead. Yeah, no, I'm very glad, you know. I'll, I'll come at it from the point of view that a broken clock can be right twice a day, but I'm very glad that that's, uh, that that's <laughs> happening. I'm glad you're a part of it. Um, yeah, I want to go back to something that you mentioned uh, a few minutes ago with the, uh, the Save Upper Darby Arts, mm-hmm. um, you know, that was a little bit before I moved to town. So like if, you know, I, I basically know the story, but for any of our listeners that don't know, you know, how did that come about and what was your kind of, uh, you know, what was your participation in that? Sure. So it was more or less the budgeting fiasco that happened between 2011 and 2012. More so in 2011, it was an issue with reading specialists and librarians. They were cutting those back. Mm. It wasn't as hot topic of an issue because, let's face it, not a lot of people um, wear T-shirts that say, I love to read. It wasn't <laughs> It wasn't as, you know, popular eye-catching as the music program, which leads me to my, my next statement. So they cut down, they trimmed the budget, they cut out librarians, they cut out reading specialists. Which sucks. Yeah. And was uh, one who needs to know how to read? Come on. Basi- basically. <laughs> basically. So then 2012 rolls around, the whole budget the whole budget, you know, process happens and there's a proposal that based upon our lack of funding and the requirements that we have to meet uh, of the state at the time, uh, the specials were gonna go. And that would include mm. reading. Well or reading was already basically yeah. handicapped. Uh gym art music they were going to cut all that shit out on every level not just elementary school they were talking like completely gutting it in a way that would have been unseen or unheard of before and because so many people love the music and arts programs here in upper darby that's our calling card we might not be financially solvent like we should be and there's reasoning for that yeah, and a, a lot of it is outside of our control yeah. <laughs> um and sometimes you might not hear the most glorious stories about us on the news uh, some of which are greatly exaggerated mm-hmm. to a degree uh, but we can definitely hang our hat on our arts and music programs and so when those are on the chopping block and teachers jobs are on the line and ki- kids careers through grammar middle and high school uh, we're going to be drastically affected. That's when people started the you, the sleeping giant was awoke, yeah. and it was through that that I met fellow alum, you know, Colleen Kennedy. Mm-hmm. I graduated Upper Darby High School several years before she did, but she knew I was a part of the music program. She wanted me to get involved with what was going on, and so we would go to the school board meetings. The auditorium would be packed full of parents, alumni, teachers, students. Because we were all very concerned about what was happening. And I mean, now that I know even more about how the school board operates, their hands more or less were tied based upon mandates that were handed down on high from state government that said you have to pay for X, Y, and Z, but we're not going to give you more money for it, even though yeah. it, it decades ago it's written in law that we should. Mm. And the state constitution says that. Yeah, <laughs> and the low-hanging fruit apparently was the arts programs. Mm. And so people advocated, and we went as far as to go to Harrisburg on the state steps where uh, I was one of a few speakers who actually gave a speech in front of, I guess, what was his name, Corbett? Governor yeah, Corbett. Tom Corbett would have been the governor at that point, yeah. Yeah, I do not miss him. Uh, <laughs> and we spoke about how much love and respect and support 
we have for the arts and music programs in Upper Darby and how it is, I don't want to, it's not treason because it's not, it's not that it's sacrilegious for us to even consider cutting those programs. And it was through those efforts, a lot of brave teachers put their careers on the line uh, to advocate for this. And we got some funding back, a large chunk of it back, uh, to be able to keep some semblance of the arts programs uh, intact. I mean, we still have condensed library specialists and uh, prep times for teachers are cut down Mm -hmm. and a garden variety of issues stemmed from that. But it could have been a lot worse. Mm -hmm. But if were it not for Save Upper Darby Arts, Suda, people like Colleen Kennedy and countless other families that were in involved in this. So many people. If I had my Facebook friends list with my pseudo people on it, I'd read it <laughs> off like I was at the uh, Academy Awards. But seriously, there's a lot of brave, intelligent, uh, forthright people who put a whole lot of shit on the line to get something done for a purpose greater than themselves. And we should all be very thankful for that because things could be a whole lot worse than they are now. Yeah, yeah. You know, even if it could still be better, it could still be way worse. So. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And then going back to touch on, uh, you know, what you said about the uh, the school board. Um, that was actually our paths first crossed uh, in 2017. Mm-hmm. Uh, you ran for, uh, <laughs> you ran for the, if I'm not mistaken, you, you tried to get both the Democratic and the Republican nominations for school board, if I'm not mistaken. I certainly did. Okay. Um, I know that we met, we met at the Upper Darby Democrats meeting where you, you got my vote. Yes, <laughs> um, I did. <laughs> but, um, yeah. you know, not that, not that the current school directors aren't wonderful people, but, um, you know, the, you know, how did, how did you come to the decision that you wanted to do that? And, uh, I mean, yeah. when I initially contacted whomever the Upper Darby GOP leader was and Chairman Rooney before the Democrats, mm-hmm. uh, I was going at it from my understanding that the law in our area that dictates that the school board is a nonpartisan position. So it would behoove them to at least pay attention to what it is I have to say with my resume, with my clear set of expertise and my world and my life experiences that I could be a good candidate for whatever party. Because again, I mean, when I turned 18, I signed up as a nonpartisan. Mm-hmm. I mean, technically I put on the card some name from an anime show because I thought I could make up my own uh, political party. At this point, I might as well. But I was nonpartisan for a majority of my adulthood up to that point. And then after Suda, realizing if I wanted to run for office, technically I could have been nonpartisan. But unfortunately, the yeah. laws don't allow for a successful independent candidate yeah. to run. Pennsylvania puts a lot of hoops to jump through in the way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, to put it nicely. So I sent out the the mailers, and the only one that I even heard back from were the Democrats. Mm -hmm. And honestly, if I were to compare myself to either side of the spectrum, I really don't like being politically binary, but I'm closer to identifying as a Democrat. And I had conversation with Mr. Rooney, had conversations with other uh, affiliated people with the party, and so I went to the, I believe it was the endorsement 
candidate if meeting. If I'm not mistaken, yeah. Something like that. And I'm there in my khakis and I'm there in my nice shirt, but my sandals. <laughs> and I mean, You got to stay true. <laughs> and, uh, um, I'll mention that a little bit later, but I'm getting, I'm getting up there after you guys are, well, the Democrats, the Democratic Party in Upper Darby is okay. Well, we have these people who are looking for endorsement. They're going to give a speech and then afterwards the committee is going to go to a vote. I get up there and the part about my speech that I remember the most is you got to have someone who's not afraid to throw a few punches and draw some blood because you can't just sit there and expect for things to get better unless you have a very articulate way of going about it uh, without having to shame the other side because it shouldn't be us versus them. We're all in this together. And quite frankly, if we are a community of diversity and this is a party that embraces its diversity... It, you would think that it would make a lot of sense for them to properly vet an individual such as myself who is Japanese, Puerto Rican, Native American, black, white, extremely gay, uh, <laughs> extremely, sing, okay. sings Japanese and Korean music, <laughs> and works in those communities. So, I mean, I mean... I got some votes. I clearly didn't get enough for an endorsement, but then again, an endorsement it doesn't mean that you can't run. And yeah, so yeah. I persisted for a time, had conversations with other people, and thought it best if I wanted to advocate for my issues because it was my ego wanted to win. Yeah. But my spirit knew that there are other ways to get around doing what I want. And so I threw my support behind a particular individual, not necessarily the party. I threw myself behind Monica Taylor. and Another, another friend of the podcast. <laughs> and she came to meet at my house. I helped develop her website. I helped handle part of her online strategy. Uh, we were sounding boards for each other, but I made sure before I even went that far, I said, these were the issues that I was going to stand on. Do I have your commitment on these? And once I knew that this person was really in it to win it for all the right reasons... Mm-hmm. And she's fucking funny. <laughs> yeah, I, I found it very I found it very easy to volunteer my services uh, to her and you know, everything from volunteering at the polling places, which I had never done before, but I did it for her because I believed in the promise that she represented to talking to people about, hey, I, I know you're gonna vote for me. I know you're probably gonna write my name in on this ballot as a point of protest because I know there are a lot of people who are pissed off that I'm not on there, but please give Monica a chance. Yeah. She stands for for a lot of the same things that I would have if I were in her position. Please get her on the board. We need her and people like her on the board, and I had a lot of success with that. Yeah, yeah who uh, I, I affectionately refer to as Dr. Flamethrower. So. <laughs> <laughs> Seems to fit. Um, yeah, and I know that... Um, you know, that's something that you've continued to advocate for, including uh, putting your name into contention for the uh, the school board seat that recently came up. Um, and, you know, my understanding is that you're going to you're going to give another shot in 2019 when it uh, when it comes back around. If you don't want me to talk about it, we can cut this. Oh, out. no, <laughs> no, definitely not. I mean, I've I've tried getting on the board since the Suda thing happened now two, yeah. three times over. First time was uh a situation where the republican control board at the time made a mini speech and it was done by president gentile i love her she was my algebra teacher (laughs) but she made a speech at the time that said the she gave a brief history of clifton heights relationship with upper darby Mm -hmm. and why it was appropriate that we hold open a seat for the clifton heights community 
And then they nominated Ron Barry, who is a part of the leadership in Clifton Heights now, and was from that area. But, I mean, I listened to him speak. No. <laughs> no like, no. Just no. Yeah, no. Uh, the, uh, the, the Clifton Heights... Like affair no. is uh, getting getting a little contentious at this it, point, but that's a separate conversation. Yeah, that's. Um, I mean, the only thing he had on me was that he was older. Yeah, and that doesn't necessarily mean a whole lot. I mean, I respect his service to our community, and I'm sure there are friends of his that might be listening to this that are like, "Well, Damien's out of his depth on this one." Well, I felt confident enough in my unique qualifications for the board that time. The time after that, and then, and then current time, that I could beat someone like that, and I still feel that way, mm-hmm. which is why I participated in July. I guess it was at this point for yeah. something right. late late right. July uh, for the appointment, uh, which ended up going to uh, Mr. Fields, who honestly I vibe with him because he has a like. A weird sense of humor. <laughs> I, I I dig that. Yeah. They got me to listen. And then once I was able to get past that, I really listened to what this gentleman had to say, his breadth of expertise, his resume and things like that. And I felt confident about who the board selected. Yeah. Uh, how they went about it is really none of my business. But they selected the right person for the right job at the right time. I'm still kind of salty about it because I'm an alpha, I'm a competitor, <laughs> and bitch, I'm going to win. I said that a month, a month later at the, at the school board meeting. I said, I have rainbow hair right now, but that could have been on the other side of the state <laughs> of these tables if you simply picked me. But honestly, I, honestly, I was glad that, that he got selected, and mm-hmm. I will definitely be running for school board next year and again for people who are listening it is nonpartisan, and people are allowed to run on both sides of the ticket so there are going to be people who are circulating petitions for democratic and republican uh, nominations look up your look up whomever you're interested in make sure you know what party affiliation they actually are before you sign i'm not i'm not super crazy about the whole cross filing thing personally but Again, a separate conversation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> hold on to your wigs, everybody. <laughs> uh, so, just to kind of to kind of wrap up, um, you know, I've heard I've heard you say a lot of times at different points, you know, talking about working with, uh, you know, Mayor McCosey, talking about working with Representative Santora, saying we're all in this together, things like that. You know, from everything that I know, almost every interaction that we've ever had, and this is a. a a a whole conversation that you and I have had where, you know, you are always trying to find the common ground. You're always trying to, you know, build the bridge. You know, I'm, I'm generally pretty convinced that I'm right about most things. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have set up these microphones if I didn't. Um, (laughs) I'm getting a little taste of that. (laughs) But, um, you know, it, it seems like that's something that is that is super important to you uh, more than, you know, identifying with a party or, you know, standing behind. I don't want to say standing behind, you know, a set of ideals, but sort of standing behind a, a predefined ideology. Um, you know, is that something that you have found has gotten the results that you wanted? That's a really good question. So... I mean, that really comes down to, for me, at the end of the day, who I end up having an answer to. Um, at the end of the day, I don't have to answer to 
or I'm not going to be ultimately beholden to a political leader, whether it's uh, conservative or liberal. Uh, to an extent, I'm not even beholden to my parents. They did raise me. And even if my mom, who is here right now, and my dad in heaven, if I act out a turn, they will whoop me. Um, ultimately, in my worldview, I answer to the big dude upstairs. And thanks to my belief system in him and and all that, all that it brings, I want to do what I can here and now in my capacity to make things better for everyone regardless of partisan politics. I know that there are good Republicans. I know that there are bad Republicans. I know that there are good Democrats, and I know there are pretty shitty Democrats. One happens to represent me in the state legislature, <laughs> but I digress. Um, and those are my opinions not, only, I'm not, not touching, those I'm not of the podcast. That, I'm not touching that one right now. Um, but, and um. she knows it, too. Um, you know, that's the, that's the important part, is making sure that you're in communication with your elected representatives, whether you agree or not. <laughs> oh, boy. You, feel free to cut that out if you nah, want. Nah, um, but, but, I mean, ultimately, I want to be a good person, not a good partisan. And that's going to require me to... I'm kind of like you, I guess, in the way that I think. I don't want to say that your knowledge is absolute. No, by, by no fucking means. But for me to be able to do what I do and to advocate as strongly as I, as I do, I have to feel that I'm knowledgeable. I have to be knowledgeable and I have to be confident. Uh, but that's also a double-edged sword because I have to understand, even in my field of work as a certified recovery specialist, there are going to be different people with different perspectives and different life experiences, and that has to be respected. I might not necessarily agree with it. There might be something I can learn as a result of that. Uh, but it's there's always an opportunity to meet in the middle, and that's why exactly I feel that I am a creative, dynamic enough person to work with these interesting personalities. Jamie Santora is one individual who has his own uh, kind of personality traits that I'm able to vibe with and get things done. He even said on uh, media courthouse steps that he and I duke it out from time to time, but we know what's really important. Tom McCosey has his own way of dealing with certain people, places, and things. He has a way about him, I'll say. I'm glad he finally unblocked me on Facebook. But Oh my god. <laughs> um, but, but honestly, I have the same I can get the same kind of personality too, so I'm able to communicate with him, and, we've, and we're able to get a lot of, of good stuff done. Same with the Democratic side. I'm able to vibe with people. It comes down to personality. That's the key that opens the door for me. If I can vibe with your personality, I know I can get a whole lot of things done, and I'm proud of what has been accomplished thus far on both sides. I'm glad that I'm able to be a link between the two, and I think that's going to be very important as time rolls on with the kind of society that we find ourselves living in, and even on a micro micro. Uh, cosm of Upper Darby, the upcoming midterm elections, even the school board elections in, into next year, you know, it's going to be, it, there's going to be a fight. Yeah. It's, it's going to be, it's going to be sick. Um, <laughs> and not necessarily good, but you got to have people in there who want to serve for all the right reasons, who yeah. are honestly willing to I mean, call it moderate if you want, but who are willing to be reasonable. Yeah, no, I see no reason that somebody can, can't can be reasonable and still, you know, have have 
very strong feelings, conservative or progressive. Uh, you know, those two things are not always mutually exclusive in theory. <laughs> in practice, I think it's a little bit trickier. But um, Yeah, I mean, know. I'm going to run as a Democrat. I feel oh. <laughs> very strongly about the Democratic position on a lot of issues. People already know that. They can, they can read into my life story as to why I would feel that way. Hmm. But if push comes to shove and I'm at your door and you've loved what I've had to say on Facebook and at these rallies and in private before I actually ran and was on the ballot for something, but then I'm on your doorstep again asking you to support me and the only reason you're not is because of the initial in front of or uh, behind my name someone's got the problem and it's probably not me <laughs> that's fair enough all right damien christopher war savage thank you so much for joining us uh for an awesome conversation on the delca and Demicast. absolutely i hope to come back again hey.